Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Can't you feel the longing in that song? Yeah, we heard so many songs this morning, so many songs that your voices were singing, and a lot of them, they're upbeat, they're hark, the herald angels sing. But that last song strikes a different note, doesn't it? You can almost hear the, the pain, the waiting, the longing, and yet there's also a sense of strength, of a hope that they're waiting for for a reason, and so they're saying, come, Emmanuel. That name, that word, Emmanuel, we hear a lot more around the Christmas season. It shows up in a number of these songs, and it's actually from this verse out of the Bible where a man named Isaiah prophesied that the Savior, the fixer, would be called Emmanuel. He prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and so that song is written from the perspective of people who are stuck in captivity separated from their homes and separated from their God because of the rebellion in their own lives, longing for the one who can bring forgiveness, longing for the one who can bring them comfort and peace and joy again, longing for what we now know as Christmas when Jesus was born and for the first time they could look at Jesus and call his name God with us. That's him. That's what the word Emmanuel means. And so maybe you feel like Hark the Herald today. Maybe you feel like Joy to the World. Or maybe you feel like, yes, I wish he would just come and fix everything. Because there are times where we don't feel the comfort. We don't feel the peace. We don't feel the joy. But that's why Isaiah is giving us these prophecies. Now, I know as soon as I say prophecy, that is like the deep end of the Bible pool. So if you hear that and you get a little bit like, oh man, where is this going? Like, am I really supposed to believe that somebody 700 years before Jesus knew what was coming in the future? Well, that is the idea behind prophecy, that it's it's predictions of the future, but not just things that God knows and will try to react to. It's that God is actually setting this out for us so that we can have hope. So maybe a little story will help us to wrap our heads around this in kind of a different way. When my wife and I first got married, when we bought our first house and moved into that neighborhood, our neighborhood was like really big on Christmas. So Christmas lights everywhere and people got the inflatables and all those kinds of things. There's hippopotamus and Santa Claus and nutcrackers. So I'm thinking, okay, want to be a good neighbor? I'm putting up my lights. We celebrate Christmas too. Uh, Mine could not compete with the guy who clearly bought the corner lot by the highway for a reason. (laughs) And every day I would drive by this house and I'm telling you, there's like millions of lights on this one dude's house and all of them are flashing. You know, like you put that little bulb at the beginning and it makes the whole row flash. I was never big on the flashing lights, but if you're going to have the flashing lights, at least make them all flash together. But these lights were like all over the place. It was completely chaotic. And so I would, you know, I appreciate the hard work, but I would also be like, did you see this guy's lights? I mean, they're out of control. For about three years, I would drive by this guy's house every Christmas just thinking like, did he not notice last year that his lights are just like all over the place? Like, is nobody next door saying you got to stop this? Till one day I drive by his yard, I realize there's a little sign in the grass by the sidewalk. It says, tune your radio to 92.5 and enjoy the show. 
huh? 92.5. It was not chaotic. It was set to music. All the different lights were flashing at different times to time up with the music. The Christmas tree's mouths were doing the lyrics for the music. The hippopotamus only inflates during the hippopotamus song and then it deflates again. The reason I share that with you is because I thought it looked cool, but it made no sense to me every time I drove by it until I understood the music behind it. And that is a lot of what the Bible is like. You know, it feels like we should be able to just pick it up like a novel and start reading, and by the end of it, I'll say, that was a good book, right? We call it the good book. But the reality is a lot of times you pick it up and it feels like that guy's light's on the corner. There's something cool going on here, but I don't get it at all. It can feel chaotic. And so as we dig a little more into Isaiah's prophecies today, I want you to listen for the music behind the prophecy. Hear the music that is underneath this that helps it to make sense. Because a couple chapters later, Isaiah is still talking about Emmanuel. He's still talking about how this Savior is going to come. And he has another line here in chapter 9 that is quite familiar to us as well. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, maybe that's familiar to you because Will just read it a few minutes ago. (laughs) Maybe that's familiar because it's another one of those ones that we always hear around Christmas time and sometimes don't even realize that it was written hundreds of years before he was born. Or maybe it's familiar to you because it's been put to music. In fact, these are some of the lyrics in Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah is probably most famous for the Hallelujah Chorus, right? Let's all sing together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Nobody? (laughs) I know, I'm just kidding. But this is in there too. For unto us a child is born. Unto us, unto us, a son is given. Maybe you've heard this before. All of the lyrics of Handel's Messiah are taken directly from Scripture, and about half of them are from the book of Isaiah. Handel's magnum opus was his attempt to tell the world how much we need the hope of the child that was being born. And so he used these words that we see here, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That when that Savior, when that Fixer, when that Forgiver finally comes, he will be everything you dreamed of and more. How about that last one, Prince of Peace? Because peace on earth, that's another thing we talk about all the time at Christmas. Right? Peace on earth. Can it be? David Bowie sings. And I won't try to sing like David Bowie. (laughs) But think about those lyrics. Peace on earth. Can it be? Years from now, perhaps we'll see. Like, maybe. Maybe not. You see, Isaiah's prophecy is different. He doesn't say, I hope so. Maybe if we're lucky. He says, this is the prince who will bring peace. But it often doesn't feel like that, does it? So at Christmas, we talk about comfort and joy, peace on earth, joy to the world. But what about the moments when it doesn't feel like that? Like, does that mean that Christmas failed? Because now we're like 2,000-some years after Jesus, and I've seen the news. You watch the news. You hear the stories, or you look at your own life. You know, you've lost a loved one in the last year. 
You know, I have friends right now who have a terminal diagnosis. Is that comfort at Christmas? Is that peace? Is that joy? Well, here's the reality. Not to be depressing, but none of our bodies are gradually getting stronger and younger, right? In a very real sense, all of us are wearing down. All of us are terminal. And you see, part of Isaiah's prophecy is that when Jesus came the first time, it was to make peace between us and God. Because just like the people who could sing, O come Emmanuel, our rebellion separates us from him. Right? And we don't always think of it that way. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to rebel against God. And then later realize, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right? It's just, it's our selfishness. It's our lying. It's our, our lust. It's when we pursue things of the world that can be good, but we make them the most important thing. And the first time Jesus came, the reason he was born, lived the perfect life, was so that he could die the perfect death to pay the penalty for us. To make us right with God again when we put our trust in him. But he's going to come back again as well. In fact, if you put all of this on a timeline, you can see Isaiah, 700 years B.C., writing prophecies about Jesus. Who he would be, where he would be, what he would do, what he would be like. If you jump to the end of Isaiah, he also has prophecies about Christ's second coming. That part of why we still experience so much of the turmoil in the world and in our own lives is because the promises that began with the coming of Christ will ultimately be fulfilled, ultimate peace and ultimate joy when Christ returns. And isn't this nice? We got 2023 Cincinnati right in the middle there. We got a couple weeks of that left, don't we? Guys, that's where we live right now. We live in the space where because of Christmas, because of the coming of Jesus Christ, God with us, we can begin to experience peace with God right now and joy no matter what circumstances we're facing. Partly because we know that he's made a promise to us that that peace and that joy will be fulfilled. That promise is that you can take comfort because God plans the future. Ever think about it that way? It's not just that God knows the future and therefore he can try to react to it and make the most of a bad situation. God plans the future. He told Isaiah exactly who Christ would be. And he's told us exactly what will happen when he comes back. Now again, you hear that and you, you ask, if you're like me, I know that religion helps a lot of people but it's kind of like a placebo, right? It's good to have something to hold on to. You know, if you don't have hope, then you'll just give up. So keep telling yourself that someday Jesus will come back. Listen, can I just tell you, if it is placebo, I do not want it. I, I don't know about you, but I've never felt good about things where it's like, I know this probably isn't true, but I'll just keep saying it because it helps me feel better. Like, it doesn't help me feel better. I'm just lying to myself, <laughs> right? Prophecy from God, when he predicts the future, it's not placebo. He's telling you this is what will happen. That's why you can have hope. And he wants you to have evidence for that. In fact, the Bible actually says that we should test the prophecies God gives us. And so there's, there's a lot of evidence for this, but I'm just going to give you one for the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah was so specific, so detailed, and it was so perfect to what actually happened in Jesus' life that skeptics believed it must have been written or at least changed 
after Jesus' life by people who were trying to convince everyone else that he really was Emmanuel, the Savior. It had to have been written or changed afterwards because it's way too specific. It's not that Nostradamus vague kind of prophecy. It's way too detailed. Well, then about 100 years ago, a little bit less, they found what's known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've heard of this, this is part of why these were such a big deal. One of the things they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls is a complete, intact copy of the entire book of Isaiah. Every single prophecy that I have in my copy right here that you could pull up on your phone right now, dated even by the biggest skeptics as being from at least 100 to 300 years before Christ was born. Which means all of those way too specific, way too detailed prophecies were written before they happened with the claim that it's because God plans the future. Now when I hear that, I start to think. <laughs> right? That's the music behind this song that starts to make a little bit of sense. If it really was about Jesus and if he was right about all of those things, then maybe he's right about who Jesus is. Maybe he's right about my need for Jesus. Maybe he's right about our future too. That's just one piece of evidence, but I'm convinced that he's right. So what does he say about our future? Well, actually, if you flip almost to the end of Isaiah, in chapter 65, which would have been like the second to last page on that big scroll, one of the things that he says is that God is declaring something about the future that is to come when Christ returns. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. All that pain, all that sorrow, all that sin, forgotten. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Now why would we need a new heavens and a new earth? He's basically describing all of creation. All of the universe will be renewed, remade, and restored. Well, it's kind of self-evident, isn't it? Because we look around the world and it is a world in decay. We look around the world and there is still so much chaos and so much hurt and so much disease and so much death and so much pain. You see, what God is saying is that he is allowing that for a time while he offers his forgiveness to as many people as possible through Jesus Christ. That this is the space where he's giving you and me time to respond to his kindness and his forgiveness. But that the day will come. So hang in there. The day will come. So take comfort. The day will come when ultimate peace and complete joy will be all the time and look at that, forever. Not good days and bad days. It will last forever. In fact, this, this even sounds a little bit like some of our songs, right? Let heaven and nature sing. You know, they're being renewed too. And I like how Chad sometimes talks about that word rejoice. You can, you can kind of make a little play on words that this is to rejoy ourselves. You know, that I need reminders sometimes when the world doesn't feel like that to put the joy back in, not only for me, but for people around me. That's really the second invitation of this prophecy for us is that we take comfort by rejoicing together. 
And guys, that's a big part of why we're here. Can I tell you, we get up early and we come in here on Sunday mornings to do like full run through, make sure everything's ready to go for when you guys show up. And it's good. But when you guys are here, it is great. Because <laughs> that feels like practice still, right? Even though you're singing the same songs. But when you guys are here and we sing together, we rejoice together, we sing to God together. Like this is what it's all about. Right? It's not, it's not us putting this on for you or you putting this on for us. It's us doing this together for God. And that's one of the things I love about being with you at Horizon. And when I was first getting to know Horizon, I was actually a guest speaker here for a while before I came on the staff. But when you're coming out every few weeks, you know, you grab lunch with people, you start to make friends. And one of the friends that I was making here at Horizon described for me how at the very beginning when they were like starting Horizon from scratch, that there was a group of friends who wrote handwritten notes. Handwritten notes. Like you have to use a pen. <laughs> handwritten notes to some of their friends, some of their family, some of their neighbors who they wanted to invite to share this kind of joy. And I loved that picture because it's so personal. Like that is, that, that is so tracking with like how Isaiah did this and how Jesus did this. And that that was really where this all began is that when you find something great, you want to share it, right? You find a great restaurant, you read a good book, you tell your friends about it. You want them to experience the same kind of joy that you did. And that's not just how Horizon started. That's still how it goes today. In fact, I had uh, coffee with a friend on Friday who told me he'd been in the same men's group study, studying the Bible for like 20 years. So I asked like, man, how did you get into that? My neighbor across the street asked me if I wanted to. Is that simple or what? <laughs> like, is that just so straightforward? Didn't need a mass mailer, didn't need a television commercial, didn't, uh, just a friend asking a friend, hey, let's go look into God together. Let's help each other grow. And so I really want to encourage you, like, that's us today. That's you too. And so maybe you think about, you know, who's that friend? Who's that family member? Who's that neighbor across the street that you've invited or you're going to invite to a Christmas Eve service to share this joy? And I'd even encourage you, as you look into the new year, we're going to be doing Matthew here in the equipping service, going through the birth and the life of Jesus. And in our exploring series, we're doing a series called Social Light, where we're really talking about what does it look like to have deep friendships in a world that's kind of forgotten how to do that? And how does Jesus become the perfect example? So I'd encourage you, think about the same friend or family member or neighbor that you're inviting to Christmas Eve, and maybe even writing them a personal note, inviting them back for that series in the new year. You know, maybe you just tell them something like, hey, I've found something really cool that I enjoy on Sunday mornings, and over at Horizon, they're, they're having like this celebration of friendship. I really appreciate our friendship. I'd love if you came with me. I'll pay for lunch afterwards. I don't know. You, use your own words. Whatever might make sense for you. Because that's how we share the joy of the things that we've discovered with one another. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I usually come to equipping. Okay, so this is your permission. You bring a friend. Go ahead. Come to equipping and stay for exploring and sit with them and enjoy this together. Because guys, that's basically what Jesus asked us to do before he left, right? He said, I will be coming back, and in the meantime, make disciples. Introduce them to me. Share the joy that you've found. And so we're going to sing one more song today, and maybe with all this talk about joy, you've kind of guessed what it is, but we're going to close with joy to the world. But did you know that this song was actually written by three different men 
across two centuries and two continents. In fact, Isaac Watts wrote the original words, but it was that same Handel from Handel's Messiah who wrote the music that we know today. And yet it may still have been lost to obscurity if it wasn't for Lowell Mason, who took the English translation, published it, and spread it across the known English-speaking world, so that still today we can sing joy to the world. With heaven and nature, we can lift up our voices and share that same kind of joy. Because joy to the world was not actually written as a Christmas song. Did you know this? We sing it at Christmas, but listen to the words as you sing them. This is actually written about Christ's second coming, when all will be made right. Hey, let's just take a moment right now and thank God for that offer of joy. Lord, we are so thankful that you humbled yourself to come in the flesh to live and die and rise again for us. So we thank you for the comfort, the peace, and the joy that you bring us even now. Lord Christ, even as we wait for you to return, our Emmanuel, to be God with us. Lord, I don't know what is on everybody's hearts and minds this morning, what is exciting or what is stressful, but I just pray that you would bring a little bit more of your comfort, your peace, and your joy into our circumstances and our lives this week, even as we seek to share those with the people that we love. Jesus, it is in your name that we thank you for all of this. Amen.